Today's episode is brought to you by The Star Draft. Do you feel like you always know the Oscar nominees before they're announced, or wish that you could share just a bit of Meryl Streep's Oscar glory? Well, now you can. Experience awards season like never before. Sign up today to create or join a league at www.thestardraft.com. We share the, the same love, the, the love of film. And now what I'm about to say probably will stir up a lot of conversation around over the country. You commie, homo-loving sons of guns. It's not about you. It's about these characters. They are two of the finest gay Americans, two wonderful men. And I am greatly honored and tremendously moved. Don't let anybody tell you this isn't a terrific thrill. It would be a lie if I told you I didn't know what to say because I've been working on this speech for about 25 years. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you. And welcome back to the season six premiere of Academy Queens, where we are switching things up. We started off in 1970 with the women, worked our way through every single decade, and now we are working our way all the way back, starting with the class of 2019. So with that said, won't you be my neighbor? I'm Joey Gentile. And speaking English is exhausting. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And this is CO19. Wait, what was that? I thought it was class of. Nope, not anymore. As a little fun thing, so we don't mix up the class of. And the men, the men are from here on out are going to be referred to as CO and their year. Still stands for class of nine, uh, 2019, but you know, got to differentiate somewhere. So welcome to CO19. Holy hell, Brandon, um, what are you feeling? This is a whole new uh, ballpark for us. Yeah, it's going to be um, a fun, different change of pace for us. Uh, same show, basically, uh, same you know format and all that, but um, we'll be talking about some boys instead of the ladies. Yes. So uh, different styles of performance, different types of roles, you know, how Hollywood is. So uh, it'll be different. Uh, we'll be dissecting things slightly differently, considering, you know, the different types of things men get to do that women don't always get to do. Right, right. And I think the most interesting thing about this, at least for us doing this show-wise, we're starting with the year that we ended last. So it's still the most fresh, like, year on everyone's mind. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why not continue it? We just finished up season five. Here's season six. Let's go back to that same year. Um, without further ado, though, I thought it would be extremely uh, proper to start with one of the top female uh, Latinx commentators of film for this whole new period for Academy Queens. Do you want to bring her in? Um, so our guest today is a Rotten Tomatoes approved critic as of recently. She is the co-founder of the Latinx Lens and a member of the Hollywood Critics Association, the Latino Entertainment Journalists Association, the Online Association of Female Film Critics, and an assistant editor at In Their Own League. Today with us we have Rosa Parra. Hello Rosa, how are you doing? Oh my god, that intro! <laughs> I'm doing good, how are you guys doing? Doing great. Hey, you can't say that we don't do a very intense intro for everybody. And of course, we're going to give that to you. So you've earned that 
for sure. I hope it was I hope it was all accurate. <laughs> it is accurate, which is kind of terrifying because now I have to live up to all of that. <laughs> oh, fantastic, fantastic. So for those who don't know exactly what you do, why don't you take a moment and explain and then tell us why you chose 2019 as the uh, year that you wanted to do uh, come on with us? Yes, yes, of course. Um, so I am the co-founder and co-host of Latinx Lens, which is a podcast dedicated to highlighting and um, shining a light on Latinos. Um, representation and contribution to film industry as well as television. And um, we decided to to start the podcast just because we've been noticing, of course, the lack of representation and um, just the lack of just Latinos out there in general, on screen, behind the screen. And then it all came to me because of film school. I also noticed the lack of representation in my textbooks. So decided to um, go on with the podcast. Luckily for us, it's been going great. <laughs> People seem to be listening and been um, we've been getting a lot of positive feedback. So we're really, really happy for it. Um, and... I'm, I'm a rookie, as hard as that is to believe. I'm, I'm a rookie to all of this. <laughs> so to me, the most, the best way to come here and not make a fool, <laughs> much of a fool out of myself is <laughs> to get um, with the class of 2019, uh, which is why I decided to to go with that um, first. <laughs> hey, I love the honesty. Listen, it's everyone from our guests, and I think Brandon can actually back me up on this. When it comes to our guests, they either choose a year they just love in general or they have someone has such knowledge about. Um, so I'm all about the fact that you're just like, eh, it's the most recent. I I could still it's still fresh in my mind. Talk about it. Why not? So absolutely love that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So for the season premiere, we are going to do what we did last year and guess who we think we're gonna choose. Um, so since Rosa is with us for the first time, we're gonna wait to go to her last, where she will guess both Brandon and I, who we think we're going to pick. Um, but I'm going to start us here. Brandon, um, I would say, see, I could see you going either or, you know, I'm going to say you're going to agree with the Academy and go Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. For supporting, though, why the hell not? I mean, you know what? Let's say, let's say Anthony Hopkins for the two popes. Why not? Okay. Um, for Rosa, um, let's see. I'm going to say, mm, I'm going to say Tom Hanks for supporting actor. Um, for actor, it, it could also go either way, but I think I'm going to go, uh, Antonio Banderas for you. Uh, Joey, I'm suspecting Joaquin Phoenix and Joe Pesci are your winners. And, um, Rosa, um, uh, don't know that much about your taste, but um, I'm just going to go ahead and guess um, Banderas and Pacino. So, Rosa, who do you think we're going to pick? Oh, my. Um, <laughs> let me see. Um, I am definitely not going to get any of these right, uh, but here we go. Um, Brandon, I think you're going to go with um, Pesci for supporting and uh probably Joaquin Phoenix for leading and then uh Joey I think 
don't know. Uh, I'm going to go with, I don't know. I'm going to stay with, with Brett Pitt for supporting and then also Joaquin Phoenix for leading. All right. Let's see what we're going to do here. Okay. So um, is there anything else, Brandon, you think we should uh, talk about really quick before we dive in? Um, I say we just dive right in. Perfect, perfect. All right. Well, I'm starting us off this uh, this season. We have the supporting actor nominations of 2019. They were Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes, Al Pacino, The Irishman. Joe Pesci, The Irishman. Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right, let's start with someone who made his first appearance in a, well, in a very long time. We have a couple of those here, but Anthony Hopkins as Pope Benedict in The Two Popes. This is his fifth of five nominations. Uh, thus far, he is getting some buzz already coming up for this year, but maybe one day we'll get to that. Um, going into Oscar night, uh, nominations all across the board from Golden Globe, BAFTA, and Critics' Choice in supporting. In The Two Popes, again, Anthony Hopkins plays Pope, plays Pope Benedict, who is at the time of the film, clearly, again, the Pope, um, who is prepping and getting ready to possibly pick a, a successor doesn't really do things quote unquote by the book but is still weirdly all about the book that makes sense if you've actually seen the movie um but rosa since you're new to us and your first time here and you're our guest why don't you start us off with what you think about anthony hopkins and the two popes um yes of course i i I really liked it. I really liked his performance in, in this film. As uh, as you were saying, he's like the most con the more conservative um, uh, side to it. And I think he very much benefited from having <laughs> uh, Jonathan Price right across from him and going back and forth with him. Um, overall, a, a film in general that I did not expect to have such fun with, <laughs> which is weird to to use the word fun with the film about popes, because um, it, it was just funny and just the way they decided to approach it was quite clever in my in my opinion. Um, but yeah, Anthony Hopkins as, as, po as Benedict, I really liked it. I, I, I like what he brought brought to the table, just the seriousness and just the way he carried himself throughout the film. Um, yeah, overall, I very, very much enjoyed it on this film. And Brandon? I'm also a pretty big fan of Anthony Hopkins in this film. I'm also just a big fan of Anthony Hopkins in general. Um, he's an actor who I feel doesn't uh, get a lot of um, attention these days from um modern audience uh, goers, uh, modern movie goers. He uh, had a really big moment in the early to mid 90s. He seemed to be a perennial nominee there for about, what, four or five years and uh, kind of fell off the Academy radar for a long time. So when he popped up with the two popes, um, I was pretty thrilled um, as a fan. And I think he's quite good in this film. Um, he shows us a side of Pope Benedict that I don't think we um, get very often. Now, I'm not a Catholic. I was not raised Catholic. So all I really know about um, 
the papacy is pretty much what I would see on the news and um, the impression that you get of Benedict um, through the media and through you know friends who are Catholic. And so you always hear about this very stern, strict uh, type of guy. And Hopkins um, definitely shows us that he's you know more conservative than others, but he still has uh, a playful side to him and um, an artistic side in a way. Um, there's a sensitivity to him that I don't think uh, was always uh, portrayed in the media. Now, how much of that is Hopkins and the filmmakers uh, taking liberties with um, the actual person or not? I'm not so sure. Again, I don't really know much about um, the popes, but um, I think Anthony Hopkins is uh, showing us uh, why he is so great as an actor and reminding audiences um, why they should not have forgotten about him the last uh, couple of decades. Yeah, I want to actually agree with the both of you here. Um, I think you both kind of hit it on the head um, feeling wise. As someone who was raised Roman Catholic, I no longer practice of any practice of any religion. Um, I always find the church in general to be super interesting. Um, and so the, the film caught my attention that way with like, oh, well, what could this be? Um, and uh, sorry, that was my that was my uh, MacBook there. And um, I remember watching it and then just kind of being underwhelmed with the film as a whole. Uh, I didn't really think it was one of the strongest contenders Netflix could have put forward. Um, so it was, you know, yeah, on that. But Hopkins's performance here, obviously, uh, specifically on that, really does bring it full circle for me in the realm of without it. I don't think I would have liked this movie for any ounce of likeness that I gave it. Um, there's something very charismatic about this character of a Pope, because again, usually when you're elected Pope, it's very much, you're by the book, you represent this, this, and this, it's very clear cut, you know, this is how it has to be, but there's this weird joyfulness to him, um, that he brings Benedict and, I don't know. It's weirdly charming for, honestly, the type of person Benedict was. So I'll give credit where credit's due. Um, but yeah, I'm just glad that we got Hopkins back in the race here. Uh, it, it was a long time coming. And uh, and of course, if you follow him on Twitter, he's just a joy. So uh, yeah, I, I dig it. I dig it. Um, do we have anyone who wants to go off of that or have any other comments regarding Hopkins? Hopkins uh, gave me one of my favorite moments of uh, a nominated film this year. Uh, there's a moment where um, Hopkins and uh, Price, uh, you know, who plays the Cardinal, who will eventually become uh, Francis, Pope Francis, they're talking about the Beatles, and uh, Price references Eleanor Rigby, and uh, Hopkins has this moment where he just goes, I don't know her not realizing that Eleanor Rigby is not an actual person. And it kind of reminded me of that whole Mariah Carey moment referencing a Jennifer Lopez. And I feel like that's a, that's my version of that moment now. So I don't know if you guys rem remember that at all, but uh, Anthony Hopkins delivery in that moment uh, really uh, tickled me. Yeah. Agreed. Again, I think that's where like the, the weird childish, lovability of the, that he brings to that. I think that is a great example. So kudos on that one. Um, Rosa, anything else? 
Yeah. Um, no, I just find it a bit uh, interesting that both of you uh, have uh, are looking at the film at, with a different lens. I mean, I, I grew up um, Catholic, uh, but these past recent years, I've, I've, um, I don't follow or I don't practice any religion at all. So it was interesting uh, to see the film and how um, they were portraying the church and, and all that good stuff. And I think I think you guys are definitely um, onto something when you say that his, uh, Anthony Hopkins, as an actor, um, he can get away or he makes it believable. He makes it somehow uh, acceptable to have these little things or these little jokes, um, like all throughout <laughs> and, and, and throughout the film, in, in the film that's supposed to be serious. So perhaps that's how we were just um, assuming it would be. Um, but yeah, no, no, nothing else. Just, just, just wanted to say that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We're going to move on to um, Joe Pesci as Russell Buffalino in The Irishman. This is his third of three nominations. Again, a gentleman who hasn't been at the Oscars stage for a very long time. Um, going into Oscar night, he has actually a win, but everything else is a nomination. Uh, he gets nominations from Golden Globes, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, the LA Film Critics, the National Society of Film Critics, and two at SAG, one for cast, one for supporting. But he wins the New York Film Critics Association uh, in supporting there. Again, Joe plays Russell in The Irishman, who is the right-hand man and best friend to the Robert De Niro character who, if you look at the Irishman as, like, a three amigos almost, um, he is the middleman between the two. Um, he doesn't put up with anyone's BS, you know, the typical foray of Joe Pesci. Um, but weirdly, I would consider him, personally, the uh, teddy bear of the group. Uh, Brandon, what do we think? I'm a pretty big fan of Joe Pesci in this film. Uh, Joe Pesci is another actor who, um, as you said, sort of fell off of the radar of a lot of the uh, modern moviegoer audiences. And uh, I like that Scorsese was able to convince him to come back for this film. We also see a slightly different side of Joe Pesci here with this performance. I feel like the Joe Pesci persona that we all became so accustomed to in the 90s was, you know, the uh, the loud, brash, uh, wise-cracking, uh, physically aggressive sort of performance. And here in The Irishman, he's much more subdued. There's like a quiet strength to him that I think really comes through. He's someone who is co perfectly comfortable with stillness and uh, silence as a performer. And I find that actually more disturbing than um, say an actor who gets real, real loud and shouts and throws things. There's, um, an ominous nature to his character. We don't exactly know what's going through his mind. He's a little difficult to read, and you don't know exactly what he's going to do from moment to moment. Um, I think this is a really great uh, work in subtlety for Joe Pesci, and uh, I love that he was able to come back, you know, years later as an older, seasoned performer and uh, really just own this character. Rosa? Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of the film overall. Um, I, I know I have one of the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Not common <laughs> beliefs out there. Uh, a lot of people just love this film. Um, yeah, Joe Pesci's performance, I, I thought it was 
okay that the way he um carries himself in, in the movie again it's just um it's just very um definitely giving a memorable performance out of out of the the nominees and and the, from the film and again just like um you guys were saying right now just the the, the way he he's a bit more uh serious and more subtle in his performance and overall I, I thought it was okay I'm, I'm not that big of a fan of it so I will agree again with both of you this has already seemed to be a trend with me um <laughs> I I agree with Rosa on the fact of the movie is meh, it's you know I think I think there was a lot of hype behind this movie and I understand why but I think it's one of those films that just really failed to it really failed to live up to the pedestal it was set on. Um, but I also agree with Brandon when it comes to the performance. You know, we've seen Joe Pesci before. I mean, he, you know, as kids of the 90s, he was, you know, home alone and my cousin Vinny and this really funny comedic guy. And then as we got older, oh, mind you, again, tough guys, too. But as we got older, of course, we knew him from Goodfellas and Raging Bull. And, you know, he really got to play this shtick of mobster mentality. Okay, cool. We've seen it. He's won an Oscar for it already. He's coming back out of retirement after all these years. For what? A mobster. Okay, we've seen this Joe Pesci. What else can you do? Subtlety. He was one of the most calm, subtle mobsters, gangsters I've ever seen on film, but still fucking terrifying. And I think that is just a testament to the brilliance of Joe Pesci. I mean, who else? I can't think of anyone else offhand who's done something like that. And I mean, it, what I mean by that is they, they stuck in the acting box of what we know them as, but completely went 180 with it. Um, I think it's brilliant. I think it's a great performance. Um, I also find it very fascinating that he just didn't show up to anything over the season. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about Brad Pitt and how he swept everything. So I don't know if it was like, why bother showing up or he just truly didn't care? Because again, remember, he came out of retirement for this. He, did, he didn't want to make this film. He was persuaded by, you know, De Niro and Scorsese to do it. Um, so I just find the, like the, the no fucks attitude given by Joe Pesci here also fascinating, but yeah, I think this is a really good performance movie, not so much performance. I can dig it. For some reason, I have a feeling that even if Brad Pitt hadn't swept, even if Joe Pesci was possibly even expected to win, I have a feeling he still wouldn't show up. I, I think Joe Pesci is just kind of over it at this point. Um, I, I think he still, you know, loves the craft. I'm sure, you know, that's still very much a part of him. But I think, uh, I don't know, I get this vibe from him that he doesn't really care all that much about the award stuff. I mean, go back to his Oscar speech when he wins for Goodfellas. It's like six words. So I don't think he would have shown up even if he was uh, expected to possibly take it. Rosa, anything else you want to add to uh, Joe Pesci? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I had to not a big fan. <laughs> well, let's get this out of the way then, too, because I, I don't know if you'll be a big fan of the next guy. <laughs> Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa in The Irishman. I didn't realize until I was putting this together literally minutes ago, this was his ninth of nine nominations. 
I thought it was maybe like five or six, not realizing. No, it's nine. Um, going into this, he, again, nominations from everywhere, Golden Globe, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, but SAG only gets them for cast, not for supporting. Um, in The Irishman, Al again plays Jimmy Hoffa, the infamous political mobster gangster who unfortunately meets – fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know. We'll discuss. Who meets the end of essentially the life he was living. Um, live by the gun, die by the gun type of situation. Uh, Rosa, let's get this out of the way. Let's have you start this. <laughs> thing. Um you know, for this one, Al Pacino, I think his performance, um, I liked it a bit more than what I did with what Pesci did with his character. Um, maybe because I am more of the uh, type of film um, audience or viewer that appreciates the loudness, the speeches and all these like just these loud um how, how people just come across when when they're uh, especially when when doing speeches so of course Al Pacino had had several of those scenes in this movie and overall I think Pacino was my favorite out of out of the three amigos that you guys were, were um, initially talking about and yeah, I think his performance was more memorable. Uh, I when I, the film ended, <laughs> when it ended finally, uh, I was left more um, with his performance, with what he did in the movie. I was more um, reflective of what he was doing in the film in general. So it, it overall, Pacino was my favorite uh, character or my favorite um, acting um, actor in this film, but. Again, not the biggest pet fan of the film. So he uh, went through a pretty big gap in his Academy history because this was his first time being nominated since he won, uh, you know, back in 92, 93 for uh, Sin of a Woman. So it's been a minute since he's been at the Oscars as a competitive nominee. Uh, not unlike Hopkins and Pesci, I feel like Pacino is... Um, also an actor who hasn't really had much uh, meaty material in the last decade or so. Uh, he hasn't exactly fallen off the radar in quite the same way. Uh, Pacino having been in such um, stellar films in the 70s and 80s, uh, some of the best films of all time, uh, he hasn't quite, you know, disappeared um, from the film world in quite the same way. But uh, still, this is kind of his biggest uh, demonstration of his uh, strengths in a long time. And uh, I think he and Scorsese are playing to all of his talents here. Uh, he's super charismatic in this film. Uh, he has a lot of energy and vigor, and it's very easy to get taken in by his character. Um, Hoffa was someone who, you know, a lot of people considered the second most powerful person in the country behind the president for a long time. Some might even say he was the strongest person in the country in a sense. And watching Pacino give these speeches and talk to people behind closed doors, it's easy to believe why. Uh, Pacino has that kind of almost regal quality to him, while also uh, having this very cunning, tyrannical nature to his, um, to his tactics. So uh, I think this is a really fun outing for Pacino. Um, it's not necessarily something we've never seen before from him, but considering it's been so long since we've gotten something like this from him, it was um, a delightful reminder of why Al Pacino is Al Pacino. 
So I think about the last time that we saw him at the Oscars with the double nominations for Glengarry, Glenn Ross, and Scent of a Woman. And then I think of when we first saw him at the Oscars for The Godfather. And then, of course, the most recent. And granted, there's ones been, that have been in between, but there really is such an interesting dynamic to what he has gotten in the past and his last few. Because in my mind, here's a man who started off at the A game of Oscar nominations and somehow has ended here. Um, I'm not a fan of this one. I, I find that he's really weirdly miscast with with next to De Niro and Pesci there's something about his Hoffa that feels like and I know this is going to be weird when I say this but it reminds me of his character of himself in Jack and Jill with like the Dunkachino like that is Al Pacino to me in this movie and I don't know if why while watching this that's all I could think of um, I feel like he's really playing for the back of the room, which, if you're doing stage, isn't so much a bad thing, but you're not doing stage for the Irishman. You're you're acting for the camera. So there's something about this that is rubbing me the wrong way when it comes to him in this movie. Um, not my favorite Pacino nomination. I don't think it's the worst Pacino nomination. You know, we've got a while if we <laughs> ever get to that. Um, but, yeah, it's um, not my favorite. Not my favorite. I don't mind the how big it is, considering who he's playing and uh, the impression that he has to give off here. Also, considering the film's runtime, uh, I think he adds an energy that um, the film needs to carry itself along, or at least I needed it as an audience member. Uh, sometimes I would find my mind was drifting, and then he would come on screen and uh, I would focus again. So um, I don't mind uh, that he got so big for this performance. Rosa, anything else? No, no, nothing else. I think I'm in the same boat as Brandon. Uh, he, he did bring that energy that <laughs> I so much needed during watching this film. Gotcha. All right. All right. Well, we are just running through these ones because we don't have any questions yet, but they are coming up. So... Let's get to this year's winner, Brad Pitt, as Cliff Booth in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is Brad's seventh of seven nominations. Um, obviously, I'm including his producing ones in there. Um, this is his first win, though, in the acting category, as he did win for Best Picture um, for 12 Years a Slave a few years back. But since we're talking about acting here, going into Oscar night, he wins everything across the board except for one. Golden Globes, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, National Board of Review, National Site Film Critics, and at SAG, he's got two nominations. Wins for Supporting, nominated for Cast. In Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, again, Brad plays Cliff, who is essentially a uh, the best friend to the Leo DiCaprio character while also being his stunt double and, weirdly at times, bodyguard and all-around goofy, lovable, yet weirdly mysterious man. Um, Brandon, what do you think? I think Brad Pitt is uh, perfectly fine in this role. Um, I honestly was not the biggest fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, maybe I need to, you know, watch it again after some time passes, and maybe I'll see what a lot of other people um, have been seeing with this film. 
but Brad Pitt has, you know, a stoic, solid presence in this movie. Um, you know, it's very much believable that he uh, could be a big Hollywood stuntman. He sort of has that, uh, he carries himself with a certain gravitas in this film. And um, he has, you know, a physical presence, a physical strength um, that he utilizes uh, from time to time, uh, which is, you know, a necessity when you have the occupation that his character has. Um, I can't say that he necessarily surprised me in any way. Um, he uh, pretty much just did, I think, what he needed to do, and um, he kind of just ran away with the season. I'd have to imagine there was just a fondness for Brad Pitt, and I suppose this film as well, because uh, just personally speaking, um, I didn't I didn't see anything that I wasn't expecting. He didn't um, wow me in any particular way with this performance. Rosa? Um, well, I watched uh, Once Upon a Time of Hollywood again, and I still didn't like it. <laughs> oh, my God. I am perhaps the worst guest you guys will ever have because oh. I'm so not oh. liking a lot of these films. <laughs> and I chose the year. How ironic is that? Um yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of, of, of Tarantino in, in general, but yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, not my, I, I wasn't particularly fond of it, even though I watched it again. Uh, Brad Pitt's performance in it, I think I'm right there with Brandon, and nothing too amazing, nothing out of, nothing surprising at all. Um, I guess it's Brad Pitt, you know, the man is like physically gorgeous, I guess, and he has this like, organic charisma to... Um, convince you to do something just by looking at you <laughs> without even having to ask you to do anything um but yeah I think I just thought he was okay I I guess he won frankly a, a lot of these wins um, um I'm still trying to understand why uh, some of these wins even happened but yeah I, overall I thought he was okay there was really nothing much to it to his character nothing I don't think there's any memorable scenes for me nothing that I was left with um that I took away from the film in general especially with his character so yeah I, I'm just like meh <laughs> and listen I am not a fan of this movie either I honestly think this is actually Tarantino's worst movie he's ever done um I saw this at an AMC really excited to see it and I remember just like at some point being like what the hell am I watching um, there's no real plot to this movie. There, Margot Robbie ends up being like a a, a, a freaking extra. That's a whole other conversation. Like, there's just I don't know. This movie just really rubs me the wrong way. Um, Pitt though, I think he's uh, he's fine with what he's doing. I honestly feel like this C2019 in general was such a weird year. Um, as we all know, the biggest surprise and you know the really only two races in this year were picture and director and so this was one that early on just seemed to stick as a win everywhere and it almost just felt like a sentimental it's about time narrative and i'm pretty sure that's all it was um this is brad pitt being uh, brad pitt or brad pitt being matthew mcconaughey bongo naked Matthew McConaughey, you know what I mean? Like, he's got this, like, charisma about him that just screams that's who he is as an actual person. Um, it's fine, but I, 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 we've seen better from him. Yeah, I'm not sure. It feels like at times that Brad Pitt's 
it feels like one of those performances where you can say he's not doing anything, um, where he's just, you know, he's being Brad Pitt and he has this aura about him. But then again, could it be that he just makes it look easy? Perhaps it's just that effortless. Uh, I'm not so sure. I, I kind of lean toward um, the, the former, that he's, you know, just Brad Pitt and he's just channeling his natural Brad Pittness. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like uh, he showed up and did a good enough job in a movie that was pretty well received and somehow it resulted in an Oscar win. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, Rosa, anything else you want to add before we get to our final nominee? No, no. Just agree with what you guys are saying. All right, all right. Well, with that said, we have uh, another gentleman who has not been here for a long time. Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. This is his sixth of six nominations and his first supporting actor nomination. Um, going into Oscar night, uh, Golden Globe, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, and SAG all nominated and supporting. Again, Tom plays Mr. Rogers, and this is the story of a man who is set out to write a piece for his news for his uh, newspaper on Mr. Rogers, and then it turns into the story of who Mr. Rogers was as a person, as an artist, why he does what he does. Um, Rosa, what do you think? Yeah. Um, yes, Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers, who is probably Hollywood's real life Mr. Rogers. He's such a beloved actor that I don't think anybody else would have been able to portray this character um, than Tom Hanks himself. I grew up watching Mr. Rogers, so I was already coming into this film with uh, maybe a little bit of bias. I just already wanting to like it because um, of that. Of that um, how I grew up watching the film. And then I'm also a big, big, big fan of the documentary. Um, I believe it's Won't You Be My Neighbor. Uh, so this performance is perhaps my favorite from, from the, these five supporting actors. And what he brought to the, to the performance, his, the way, just the way he was able to portray Mr. Rogers in such a subtle way and just sit there. And this film definitely has several of those moments that have stayed with me. Um, definitely. I, I don't want to spoil so much because <laughs> I know these movies are just recent films and, and I don't want to um, spoil it for anybody, but there is the scene in the kitchen um, where Tom Hanks is just literally looking at the camera for a minute or so. And he just trans translates so much. He conveys so much to the audience, just looking at you with that face. And I was a sobbing mess after I watched this film, especially in that scene. And I just think what he brought to the to the movie to this character was just oh man, it was so moving. Just just the moving and to me, to me personally, definitely a powerful performance. I'm a big fan of this performance as well. Um, my relationship with Mr. Rogers might be a little different than a lot of folks uh, my age of our generation. I didn't really grow up watching the PBS programs, so I never really watched Mr. Rogers growing up or like Sesame Street or uh, Zoom or any of the other PBS uh, series. <laughs> what was it called? What? No, I, I just Zoom, man. Throwback. Yes. Oh, 
I thought I said it wrong. I thought it was called something else and I messed oh, yeah. up. Um, I mean, I so when I watched uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary, um, I sort of took it just uh, as a factual face value sort of thing. I didn't have the nostalgia associated with the um, subject matter. And um, a lot of the feelings that I think a lot of people felt watching Won't You Be My Neighbor are what I experienced watching A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I think it took Tom Hanks to um, embody and elevate the character. I don't want to, maybe elevate's not the right word, but he he did it in a way where um, it was able to get to me uh, as, an, as an audience person who didn't have that connection. Um, I felt like I was discovering this uh, persona for the first time. And uh, Tom Hanks is so good here. Um, he is such a lively, warm presence in this film. And he does so while creating a three-dimensional grounded character. Um, it feels like his uh, Mr. Rogers is a real person, not just, you know, this walking thing of energy and liveliness. Um, I'm, I don't know. I found myself pretty moved watching this film. And I think a lot of that has to do with Mariel Heller's direction. Um, she's pretty creative and inventive as a director. And um, also Tom Hanks, just being a pro. I think Rosa is right on. If anyone in Hollywood is um, the Tom Hanks or the, the Mr. Rogers of Hollywood, it's Tom Hanks. Uh, this casting is pretty perfect. Um, I've said on previous episodes, when I'm watching a biopic, I don't need the person on screen to literally look like the person they're playing. If they capture the essence of the person they're playing and do something unique with it and um, quote unquote elevate it, um, I'm all on board. And Tom Hanks does that here. Uh, he does not look like Mr. Rogers. He's not really deceiving anyone um, on a visual level, but um, I think he becomes this character through and through. I think there's something so special when you can watch a biopic or not so much a biopic, but have you could watch a biopic or a film that has a real life person in it um, played by someone else. And you forget that you're actually watching the actor. Um, there's something really special about this performance with that. Because there are moments watching this where you forget that that's Tom Hanks. You know, you you really think that that's Mr. Rogers. And I think that's really special. Um, of course, it's nostalgic for people our age, people who are older. Whether you grew up with Mr. Rogers or not, you know who he is. Um, he's just one of those figures. He's like Darth Vader or Ronald McDonald. You know what I mean? Like, he's just such a part of the pop cultural zeitgeist in this country. Um, I'm not sure how it is outside of the U.S. with Mr. Rogers, if anyone else knows who he is, but at least here I could say that. Um, yeah, there's – having Tom Hanks this year was almost like welcoming back your your dad or your grandfather or your best friend because we realize it's been 20 years. We've missed this man. We've missed this – you know, he's been giving us great performances, but it's taken a long time for Oscar to – recognize that for some reason it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why it took so long but 
I'm glad they did it for this one at least because there is something very magical and innocent and it makes me feel like that innocent child again watching Mr. Rogers and I think it's really special. I like this one a damn lot. Um yeah. I'm into it. I think it's crazy how big of a drought Tom Hanks had at the Oscars considering he is someone who has given us performances in my opinion uh in between those two nominations uh, that were worthy of recognition. Um, I'm, we'll get to those, you know, a uh, few episodes to come. But, um, yeah, it's crazy to me that it took this long for them to recognize Tom Hanks again when he hadn't stopped working. He was still giving us quality work. Well, I know that you want to wait, but we actually have a question about that from Jackson Stefano. Um, and since you already started it, go ahead with it. Um, this is Tom Hanks' first nomination since Castaway in 2000. Do you think he should have gotten another nomination during that time period? And if so, for what? Uh, well, the big one for me is Captain Phillips. Um, I think Captain Phillips is one of the best performances in his career. So um, it's crazy to me that he was not nominated for that one. So um, that would be the one if I had to choose just you know a single performance. And Rosa? Yeah, the same thing, Captain Phillips. Um, I, I, I am still, wait, so you said since 2000? Yeah. Pardon me, I'm not really knowledgeable with the Academy. Um, <laughs> everything that goes on. Oh my God, really? Since yeah. 2000? It was 19 oh. between. My God, yeah. Uh, yes, definitely his, his performance of Captain Phillips. I would agree with Captain Phillips as well, but I want to add one in just from a couple years ago in The Post as Ben Bradley. Mm. I think um, him bouncing off of Meryl Streep was fantastic and something that not many people can do at an equal or even better level. And I think he was really deserving of that one. So I would like to also agree with you guys, but add The Post. Yeah. Um, does anybody else have anything on Tom Hanks? I don't think so. All right. We do have one more question about the supporting lineup as a whole from Lewis Ride. With the supporting lineup, do you think that it, that it was just a love for quote-unquote returning favorites, or are these genuinely the best supporting actor performances of that year? Rosa, why don't you start us off with that one? Oh... Good question. Um, I would say it's more of, uh, yeah, the Academy trying to bring back or, or trying to have this like renaissance of, of the of the older actors who are in this category. Um, but yet again, I'm trying to think of who would I've chosen as supporting in the films that I've seen. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd say that. I think it does have a lot to do with uh, wanting to to bring back because how we've been, or, or you guys mainly, <laughs> I've just been um, agreeing with you guys, um, discussing all these nominations. It, it does it does come up a lot. Well, this this um, actor has not been nominated in such a while, or this actor is finally back since after all these years. So yes, I think that um, may does have something to do with it. Yeah, I suspect there's a lot of that going on as well. Um, you know, just thinking about a few of the other films that came out uh, this year or last year, as the, the case may be. Um, 
Chris Cooper gave two pretty solid performances. Now, he's also uh, someone who who was recognized, what, like 20 years ago. So I guess he would be in a similar boat. But I feel like Chris Cooper's not really on people's minds quite as much as um, some of these other nominees this year. So um, if he had been nominated for either Little Women or um, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, I think that would have been perfectly fine. Um, you know, Jonathan Majors was pretty good in Last Black mm-hmm. Man in San Francisco, but not sure how many Academy members were really paying attention to that. But, um, yeah, there were some good ones uh, last year, but it uh, seems like the industry latched on to the same five or six and just kind of ran with them for the whole season. I just have one thing to say. Hashtag justice for Richard Madden in Rocket Man. He should be in this. So that's all. <laughs> I, um, I have a feeling Rocket Man's going to come back up again oh (laughs) (laughs) trust me we have well most of our questions i I handle with the men in lead but Mm, trust me and is definitely coming up (laughs) good (laughs) well shall we get to the leading men then let's do it okay your nominees for best actor in a leading role in 2019 were antonio banderas Let's start with our winner for the year, Joaquin Phoenix, winning for Joker. This is his fourth of four nominations. Going into this, he was, you know, pretty much the industry favorite, as all of the winners were this year. He takes the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice Award. He also uh, gets uh, nominated and uh, wins for several regional critics' prizes going into this. In Joker, Joaquin Phoenix plays Arthur Fleck, a mentally troubled, aspiring comedian who um, feels as though he's been mistreated by society and then spirals into madness. So, um, Rosa, how do you feel about Joaquin Phoenix in Joker? Yes, I am. (laughs) I'm I'm a lukewarm when it comes to the film overall, but I have to be honest and say that this performance is perhaps, (laughs) in my opinion, well-deserved of an Oscar-worthy, of the winning the Oscar. Oscar. I thought what 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 Joaquin Phoenix did with this character is quite. Although I do have to admit he he's kind of um, in this trend of of playing similar characters in other films as well. Um, I think what he did uh, depicting uh, someone with mental mental illness and all these psychological uh, trauma just his facial expressions, the way he carries himself. Oh my God, the the, the physical. Um, his physical transformation to portray this character was quite mind-boggling, just how much weight he had to lose uh, to do, uh, to portray um, Arthur. And man, his his performance is definitely one of the most memorable ones for me. Uh, there's several scenes that I can think of uh, that have stayed with me, but just depicting uh, pain and depicting this trauma of being socially, of, of just being the product of, of society, pretty much. Uh, it's just 
he's the result and 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 um, and unfortunately the outcome of when society and the government just tend to neglect people with mental illness people who do need the help and unfortunately um to me i guess Joaquin Phoenix captured that captured that just captured it brilliantly um what he was able to convey and and it's predominantly his film he's in most of the film if not all of it and just man to me definitely a powerful performance by Joaquin Phoenix yeah I really like the Joker um I liked it when I first saw it I liked it upon the rewatch I think everything about this movie works really well for the story they're trying to tell um, I know there are some people, there seems to be this weird trend that people have with this movie that the moment it won at Venice, it was like the movie for all of film Twitter to just rag on, which I think is very unfortunate because it is genuinely really good. Um, I also find it interesting that people, before I get to Joaquin specifically, that people always talk about how this movie um, depicts society and mental illness, which is true, like it does for the story, but it is telling the same story essentially that Parasite is telling as well. So I do want to put that out there, that it is doing the same thing in different ways. Um, and I think a lot of what makes it work for this is the performance by Joaquin here. Um, Rosa mentioned that you know he, he has this thing about playing these characters who are kind of the same... Um, but like before and so i know with this one people are like oh th you know this is really the master and i and i personally don't feel like it is i think he's doing something completely different in the master mainly because it's such a, a different film and b it's such a different concept of the character but i can see the similarities in what joaquin is doing especially facially there that he's doing here in joker um, I think it, this is fascinating, especially because for the longest time, even before we got Jared Leto's Joker um, in Suicide Squad, I always thought that Heath Ledger had done it so well that it, the character should have died with him and that whoever truly stepped into the shoes of the Joker would have such a pedestal to overcome. Um, and I think Joaquin did really well here. Um, I don't hate this. I enjoy the movie and I enjoy him quite a bit. Um, I am also one of the few that are, that I feel the few that are looking forward to parts two and three that he's supposedly being offered. Um, I know this was supposed to be a standalone, but I, I welcome it. So I like this one a lot. Brandon? I think Joaquin Phoenix is quite a commanding force in this movie. Um, he gives, you know, a real roller coaster of a performance. Uh, he, he, uh, this is a character who I think is um, pretty easy to get lost in. Um, you know, from an acting perspective, there's uh, so much material there, and um, there's a lot of uh, places to go and explore with a, with a character like this. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of the movie itself. Uh, it doesn't really work for me. It doesn't really speak to me in quite the way that I know it. Um, has affected other people. Um, sometimes uh, it feels as though it's trying to be a little too important um, with its execution, um, perhaps a little bit too referential at times, um, you know, to the movies of decades past that it's clearly um, taking inspiration from. Uh, but um, isolating Phoenix here, um, 
it's a it's a hard performance to deny. Uh, so I can see why um, a lot of industry people uh, rallied behind um, the performance. And you know, he's a he seems to be a, pr a pretty respected person in the acting field. So perhaps um, the performance and the timing uh, just worked out for him in that regard. Um, at times, though, sometimes um, it reads to me as though he's he has something to prove, like he's trying to. Uh, he, like he has an axe to grind or something. Um, I'm not sure that he really needed to for me, uh, but uh, sometimes I get that impression as a viewer. But um, again, not not my cup of tea per se as a film or even really as a performance. Sometimes it's a little bit too forward, a little bit too uh, big for me in a way that I didn't think was always warranted. Um, also, I'm not sure about um, co-opting the property. Um, sometimes I wonder if the movie had um, not utilized the uh, the Batman mythology or whatever you whatever you want to call it, if uh, if Joaquin Phoenix's character had just been another person, not called Joker, and uh, there were no references to you know Gotham and all that, how much how would this movie still stand? Uh, would it be the same movie just with different? names uh i'm not sure uh, how important was the uh the joker of it all to this movie's success sometimes i just wonder that i don't really have the answer it's uh, just something that i think about but uh walking phoenix uh definitely um he makes this character his own um i'm not going to compare him to other ones who have taken up the mantle because um i think they're all pretty different um and they're all existing in different films so it's it's really apples and oranges even though they are technically playing the same person. Um, but yeah, I think Joaquin Phoenix is uh, doing pretty well with this part. Uh, Rosa, do you have any follow-ups? Um, with Joaquin Phoenix? No. Uh, I, I do, uh, perhaps that, I, I think I'm right there with you when I would not compare this performance with, with other uh, Joker performances. Um, however, I would say that I will compare this to what he did in um, You Were Never Really Here. And I think his performance in that film, in my opinion, and the film itself, too, it's a bit more superior than what he did here in Joker. I agree with that, actually. I wish he had been nominated for You Were Never Really Here. Oh, me too. <laughs> um, I, I just want to add, too, I think this is one of those performances where the film is so gritty and his performance is so gritty, like... It kind of makes you want to take like a silkwood shower afterwards because it you did anyone else just really feel weirdly dirty after watching it? I can yes. see why. Yeah. Yeah. All that smoking. How yeah. How do you smoke so much? <laughs> oh, listen. As a former smoker of ten years, um, I my lungs hurt even looking at that, and I was a very heavy smoker. I was like, oh god, whew, no boy, no. Yeah. Do you um, want to get in a little bit more to your comparison to Parasite? Because I don't know if I'm fully on board. I'm just I'm trying to make the connection in my mind still. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll do that really quick. So, you know, in Parasite, it there is it tells the story essentially of upper class to lower class and what one class thinks of another. Right. So in Joker, there's that scene where he's at Moray's um, on, on the talk show and he's like, why did you kill these people? And essentially the whole point of it was you only care about them because they were some rich asshole. If I was laying dead on the street, you would walk right over me. 
I mean, the comparison there is pretty on point if you think about it. Um, it's why what the rich and what upper class think of lower class people. Um, I think Joker does it in a more grittier, dirtier, um, I don't want to say realistic, but kind of realistic way um, where Parasite uses the story to tell through the family lens. Um, they're very similar in, in what in the message they're trying to say here. Okay. It's like class warfare is a... Yeah. Yeah, okay. I can see how those, how the two uh, stories are, you know, how they have a, a related theme in that regard, but they go about them in two very different ways. Yeah. Yes, yes. But I can very... see why they would have a shared, I don't know, theme in that way. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Antonio Banderas, nominated for Pain and Glory. This is, so far, his first and only nomination. Going into this, he's a bit more of a critic's darling than Phoenix. Uh, Banderas wins with the Los Angeles Film Critics, the New York Film Critics, the National Society of Film Critics. He is the Best Actor winner at Cannes Film Festival, and he wins the Goya Award, which is the Spanish Oscar. He is also nominated for the Golden Globe, the Critics' Choice Award, and with the AARP Movies for Grownups Award. In Pain and Glory, Antonio Banderas plays Salvador, an aging filmmaker dealing with writer's block and um, chronic illness. So, Joey, how do you feel about Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory? How I mentioned earlier with Tom Hanks, um, there's a point when watching a person play a real person that you forget that you're watching that actor because they fully embrace who that person is. I'm going to use that same comparison here for Banderas, but with Banderas, he's not playing essentially... I mean, he is. I... I'm just going to say it because of the, I mean, the movie's been out. So, I mean, if you've seen the movie, you end up knowing that he is essentially like playing. I'm going to butcher this name and please forgive me. The director. I can, I'm blanking on the director's name. Pedro Almodovar. Thank you. Thank good Lord. There's, uh, I'm prepared guys. I swear. Even at the beginning, I swear I'm prepared. Um, he, he ends up playing like a version of him um, if I'm not mistaken from the research that I've done uh, at the end of this. I mean, the, the movie is is uh, semi-autobiographical in that manner. But with that said, his character is fictional. Now, Banderas does such amazing work here that you forget that you're watching Banderas, even though it is literally him on screen. This character that he's playing, you think, is so real because he's so genuine. He's so... Every day, you and me in his in his expression, in his worries, in his the way that he speaks, um, there is the fine line between over the top and being subtle and being bigger than your britches. And um, Banderas, his subtlety in his work here is just mesmerizing. Um, it almost feels documentarian in a way and i love it it's so beautiful um i have zero complaints about this one at like zero uh rosa how about you yeah i'm in the same boat as you i love this performance what antonio bandera brings and what he does with, with the character of salvador 
man, I, I was able to feel just watching him on screen, the pain he was going through, not only physically, um, by, by, by his body language, but emotionally as well. He, he has this facial expression that conveys so much his, his, just everything that, that the character is going through. And yeah, just like you were saying right now, it's a semi-autobiographical of um, Pedro Almodovar. And overall, as a film, I, I, I really, really, really enjoy I love this film to pieces. Just the, the, the set designs and the production design and the story in general. But I think Antonio Banderas' performance certainly brings this film up to, to it certainly elevates the film. And just the way he his relationship with with some with his mother, of course, in, in this film was something that really moved me. It, it moved me a lot. And as a director, how how you um, the struggles that, that you go through, everything pretty much it's in the title of the film, Pain and Glory, to to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve, you have to go through some obstacles or, or go through that pain, whether it is um, physical or, or emotional or, or just obstacles in general. Yeah, what, what Banderas did in this film is quite mesmerizing. And frankly, I, I loved, loved this film. Yeah, I share that sentiment. Um, this performance is so delicate. Um, it's, it's like a mosaic that could crack and break into a million pieces at any given moment. Um, there is so much going on here. And uh, I love the autobiographical nature of it. Um, I'm a big fan. I, I feel like I always put the accento in the wrong place when I say Amodovar out loud. I think I just did it right because I was thinking about it. But I feel like I always put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um, so watching this film, having been watching um, his films basically since I was in high school. Um, I watched Bad Education, I think, for the first time when I became obsessed with his work. Um, watching Banderas, Banderas play um, basically him uh, and uh, communicate all the things that, you know, he knows that his uh, collaborator, his friend are going through. And um, I don't know, it, it felt emotional to me, and I'm not even, like, personally connected to either of them. I've just, you know, been a fan all this time. And I'm glad that Banderas finally um, is getting, or did get attention as a serious actor. I feel like most American audiences primarily know him for, you know, the action films that he did in the late 90s and the 2000s. And then, you know, he joined the Shrek universe as Puss in Boots. And that's what a lot of Americans know him for, um, unaware that he was doing some really radical groundbreaking stuff in indie film back in Spain in the 80s and early 90s. Um, highly recommend checking out his works uh, in Law of Desire, Matador, uh, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Um, he's been an incredible performer for decades, and uh, somehow it took until Pain and Glory for um, a lot of Americans uh, to realize it. And, this is a beautiful performance. Uh, it's so tender and um, there's so much depth to it. Um, so a lot of times you can watch two actors on screen who, who know each other in real life and they have a natural chemistry. Um, you can just tell if they've been scene partners 
on stage, on screen for years. And they have a natural um, chemistry in that regard. Here, um, Banderas and Almodovar have the same chemistry. One of them just happens to be behind the camera. And um, you can feel that connection. Uh, this role, this performance means so much to Banderas. He really wants to get it right. And um, I think that comes across. Uh, and yeah, I'm just, all things considered, just uh, very fond of this performance. Yeah, um, I don't know about you guys, but I <laughs> watched this movie. And again, spoiler alert, um, the very end shot of that, when you realize that Penelope Cruz is an actress playing the mother, like this has been a movie inside a movie, I gave out one of the loudest audible gasps I think I've ever given out in a film and was so touched that I literally like shed a tear. I was like, holy hell, wow. So not only is the film here, does it work on an acting level, but just as a whole, it is fucking gorgeous. Rosa? Yes, I agree. <laughs> I did too when I watched it in the theater. And yeah, the last shot came up. I was like, oh, wow. Same same reaction. It, it gave me a different um, perspective, of course, to, uh, as to watching the film. But even then, watching it again, I watched it again earlier today. Um, it still had the same effect on me. And yes, it's gorgeous. It's very beautiful, beautiful to watch. And I, I haven't watched a lot of Almodovar's filmography, but um, I, I do have a, a, a friend who's a big fan and he's like an Almodovar expert. And I was able to talk to him a little bit about the film. And he says that a lot of his films do um, have the similar style of of using all these like red colors in, in, in his um, films and now that I was able to watch it the second time I was seeing everything the clothing the chairs the sinks the everything the cabinets the doors the wallpaper I was like oh my god <laughs> oh, so much red but it's so it, it's to me it was just gorgeous beautiful to look at it's just like a portraying like seeing a live action portrait coming to life <laughs> That is a great way to describe that movie, actually. Holy hell. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a beautiful film. Um, it's also, it's a nice um, punctuation mark. Um, not that he's going to stop making movies, but if you're familiar with his work up until Pain and Glory, um, it's a wonderful culmination of all the things that make him great. Um, it's kind of funny. I feel like I might might be a little unique in this regard. I kind of knew that those flashbacks were actually a movie within a movie pretty early on. I don't know what it was. I think it just kind of hit me at a certain point. And um, it was kind of funny. I was watching this movie at home and uh, my boyfriend came home uh, from work or whatever and asked, you know, what I was watching. And he asked if it was a flashback. It was a scene with Penelope Cruz. And I was like, I think this is a movie within the movie. But, you know, it's ultimately not revealed until the end. And uh, I felt like I had been I felt like I had been paying attention when it was finally revealed. Uh so I was kind of surprised when uh, other people were treating it like a big twist. And I guess it was. Maybe I'm just a little too familiar with uh, his style. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I love that people had that reaction. I think that's really magical, actually. So he's a great filmmaker. Highly recommend checking out his other work if uh, people listening haven't done so yet. And I will say, too, as someone who isn't fluent in Spanish, um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty 
good with forming a few sentences, but uh, as someone who isn't fluent in Spanish, there were moments in this film where I didn't even feel like I needed to read the subtitles because I could fully understand what Banderas was saying without having to truly understand if that makes any sense. And I think, I don't think many actors can do that. And so kudos to him for that as well. Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, we said the same thing about Penelope Cruz when we talked about her nomination for Voltaire. Yes, yes, we did. So there's a theme they, here with these movies. I wonder hmm, what it is. They need to work together more often, uh, particularly with Almodovar. Almodovar. I'll get that right someday. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one. That that definitely good performance. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Leonardo DiCaprio, nominated for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is his sixth of six acting nominations. Uh, he also has some recognition for producing, but this is the, the sixth of the six acting nominations. Going into this, he doesn't really win anything major, but he's recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and a People's Choice Award. In Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Leonardo DiCaprio plays Rick Dalton, a fading TV actor trying to make a comeback in the late 1960s Hollywood industry so uh rosa how do you feel about leonardo dicaprio and once upon a time in hollywood yes um so yeah dicaprio and once upon a time in hollywood was one of the uh few characters that i really somehow weirdly awkwardly i guess enjoyed in in, in this movie um i i enjoyed his performance in, in overall and I, I don't mean, I, I, I'm no acting expert or, or anything of a kind, but I always find it fascinating when, I, I, I'm assuming acting is no, no, no easy task, and I find it uh, fascinating when actors can act like they're acting, <laughs> and being able to pull off those scenes when he is frustrated with himself as an actor and while he's acting and making the mistakes while he's acting and uh, that thing it's kind of similar to a film within the film but here's like acting within acting and it's always I've always been fascinated by by that aspect of it and I think Leonardo DiCaprio pulls it off fairly (laughs) fairly well in this movie and just his reactions his his emotional reaction um Overall, I, I thought he was really good in this movie. I, I, it's one of the few things I enjoyed about this movie was his acting in general. And again, as you probably all of you probably already know by now, to me, acting, uh, it, it, I probably I am um, talking about it or trying to analyze it. But to me, a good acting performance, a great performance it needs to stay with me or at least have a few scenes that are memorable to me. And whatever little uh, memorable scenes I do have from this film do come from DiCaprio's acting, especially when he has that little sequence with the little girl um, who was also amazing in this movie. And in general, I thought he was really good. I, I really enjoyed him. I really enjoyed him in this movie. Um, yeah, so like the movie, I'm not, like, the movie as a whole where I said I didn't really like the film, I'm kind of on the boat with that with DiCaprio, too. Um, if I have to pick, like, between the two guys, I'm more Team Bradley Pitt than I am Leo DiCaprio. Um, I just, I don't know, this just feels like 
like Leo, hey, here's Leo in a in a in a movie. Let's get him a nomination. You know what I mean? Like there's just something about this that feels very meticulated for getting an Oscar nomination. Like it feels too robotic in the manner of how it happened, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, for the performance, though, it's just I don't know. There's just I can't help. I don't know, guys. I'm having stro- I'm struggling putting this one to words. I don't like it. I'll just say, like, I don't like it. I, I don't think this was great. Um, I, I just really feel like he made it all the way through because he's Leo DiCaprio. It doesn't feel like a nominated, like, Oscar performance. It just feels like anyone could have done this role, and I think that's where I'm at with this, is, like, anyone could have done this. You could have cast Jessica Lange in this role and she would have got a nomination. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you could have cast anybody to do this. Um, it just doesn't feel very special to me, and I, I am not a fan. Don't like this one at all. On the idea of Jessica Lang playing this role, I would like to see it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think when it comes to DiCaprio and Pitt, I'm more interested in what DiCaprio is doing uh, because I think at, at least he's doing something. Um, I I enjoy his scenes a little bit more. Um, his uh, struggles to, um, I guess, stay relevant and successful. And um, like Rosa was saying, his acting within acting is so fun to watch. Um, and then, you know, getting schooled by this uh, little girl on set about life. Uh, she's so, you know, knowledgeable and cultured and well-rounded at just, you know, the age of 10 or whatever she is. And um, he's just awestruck and suddenly questioning all of his life choices. Um, she's wonderful uh, in this movie. Um, Ju- is it Julia Butters? Is that her name? Uh, she's great. Um, DiCaprio, I think, is pretty funny um, in this movie. Um, you know, like I've said, I'm not a big fan of the movie, uh, but I think DiCaprio really plays into the sort of I don't know what you even call it, the sort of quirkiness of it all. This uh, skewed view of old Hollywood that Tarantino has. Um, I feel like DiCaprio is reflecting that, um, you know, twisted Tarantino-esque um, terrain um, where this movie takes place. Uh, I also really enjoy his, like, bits with the flamethrower at the end, um, which I think is so random and so Tarantino and so hyper-masculine. Um, and DiCaprio just kind of runs away with it, and I sort of love it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the movie, but I feel like uh, the moments where I do find myself enjoying what I'm watching, they tend to involve DiCaprio for whatever reason. So I'd have to say of the two, I favor him. Rosa, do you have any follow-ups? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I prefer DiCaprio's performance over Brad Pitt's. Well, fine. You two can go <laughs> damn thing. I'm used to it. It's okay. Um, we have a question from J. Lewis Edwards. Ask AQ. If Leo hadn't won for The Revenant, do you think that Hollywood would have... Or, I'm sorry. Do you think that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would have been his Oscar win? Or was Phoenix still destined to win? Brandon? Um, you know, even if he had not won for The Revenant, I, for some reason, don't see this 
as a winning vehicle for him. Um, it's clear that there was a fondness for him. You know, he gets nominated here and elsewhere. But um, even if he had gone, you know, 0-6 or, or 0-5, however it would have worked out, uh, going into this night, um, I, don't see, uh, I don't see people rallying around him for this in the way that they did for the Revenant. Rosa? Yeah, I'm right there. Same boat. No, I don't think so. Unless the film as overall would have had a bit more momentum behind it, winning more, um, I don't know if it was screened in festivals or not, but winning some of those, uh, like awards or something like that, then maybe, but slim, slim, slim chances. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that this would have been the one, quote-unquote, the one to do it in. I think it would have driven the fanboys on Twitter nuts if he hadn't won for The Reverend and then hadn't won for this either. Um, I think we'd be looking at Glenn Close-styled craziness from people on Twitter. Um, Yeah, I don't think he would have gotten it for this. Is that it on Leo? Uh, Yeah, that's it on uh, Leo. Yeah. Okay. Next, we have Adam Driver, nominated for Marriage Story. This is his second of two nominations. Um, Going into this, he only really receives uh, wins with some regional uh, smaller critics awards. Uh, But going into it, he is recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, Los Angeles Film Critics, and the National Society of Film Critics. In Marriage Story, Adam Driver plays Charlie Barber, a New York theater director, in the process of um, divorcing his wife, played by Scarlett Johansson. So, Joey, how do you feel about Adam Driver and Marriage Story? So my feelings on Driver are very much like my feelings on Johansson that we spoke about last season. This movie just doesn't work for me. This movie doesn't work for me directing, writing, acting. Everything about this movie just doesn't work for me. Driver, like Johansson, is really stage acting, and I know I brought this up already, but really stage acting for the camera when he needs to dial it the fuck back. Um, I don't think it's as egregious as Johansson's work of stage acting for the camera here, but there is just such a point in this movie, especially during that big fight, where I have to laugh because it is so over the top. Can't take them either. Can't take either of them seriously. They want so badly to have their Kramer versus Kramer moment, and it's just not working. Um, which is a shame because, you know, Driver is not a bad actor. Um, you know, we'll talk about him again, what, next week with Black Klansman? So, you know, it's, uh, huh. yeah, not, uh, not good. I don't like this at all. Rosa? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I don't surprise, think- surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> Yay! Uh, yeah, no, I'm not the I'm not the biggest fan of the of the film overall. Um, yeah, it it it, it seems especially that that fight scene that's been going around that was going around Twitter within hours of the film being available on Netflix. It's it, it, yeah, it, it was too much, too over the top. It, it didn't work for me. I I tried uh, even though I watched it again earlier today again to maybe um. I wasn't in the right state of mind or emotionally I wasn't prepared to watch it or I don't know, uh, some other uh, factors. Uh, but no, uh, I'm not the biggest fan either. Um, yeah, it, it, the, the film overall doesn't work for me because of the performances. <laughs> uh, 
what what you have and st- I'm still uh, trying to understand how uh, Laura Dern won that Oscar but that's for I guess you guys can talk about that some, <laughs> some other time um yeah no Adam Driver no I, I don't I don't I see why he's here. I get it. I understand it. Um, and I'm trying to understand why other people are uh, very fond of the film and very fond of his acting because um, he won some of the smaller uh, critics uh, awards. But yeah, me, no, I'm not fond of it either. I just, it just didn't work for me. <laughs> so I'm kind of lukewarm on it. Um, I don't dislike this performance, but I'm not in love with it either. Um, as the listeners heard when we discussed um, Dern and Johansson, I'm not a big Noah Baumbach fan. Um, his movies just don't really hit me in the way that I know a lot of other people, um, in the way that they affect other people. Uh, and Marriage Story, I have mixed feelings on. Um, I think Driver is fine. Um, any of the um, missteps uh, that I detect, I think ultimately come back to Baumbach. It's not so much driver as a performer um what i think driver is able to do pretty well um in this film is uh there's a lot of um feelings flying all over the place there's a lot of mood swings here as i think uh would be normal in a situation like this um with you know this divorce this cross-country divorce and i think driver um makes those mood swings pretty believable throughout and there's a very slow build up until that crescendo fight scene um now i know that fight scene kind of a lot of people saw that scene uh before they watched the movie because that's how the internet works for some reason and i think watching that scene um without the context of the film soured a lot of people's um opinion of the movie before they even went into it and uh it is a big scene um you know there's veins bulging and there's red faces and spit flying. And um, I can see why without the um, context of the rest of the film, it can look like the most over the top acting you've ever seen. But for me, um, even though I had mixed feelings on the film, uh, when it ultimately got to that moment, um, I believed those feelings uh, because there is so much deception and, uh, lying and backstabbing and whatever uh leading up to that moment um when they ultimately get to that fight uh it didn't bother me uh so much i did not watch the scene uh when it was circulating around twitter there for that day or two uh before i had seen it so uh perhaps that could be why um i don't have those feelings but um yeah i i have mixed feelings overall and i think driver's doing perfectly fine um it's mostly bomb box decisions as a writer and director um, that drag down the story and the performances uh, for me. So I think he's okay is basically what I'm saying. Well, I mean, at least something is connecting us here is that like, it's not great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We do have a question um, from film lore. Uh, Do you guys believe the hype around Adam Driver that people thought he could possibly surprise win and beat Joaquin or did you guys think that this was Joaquin's the minute you watch Joker side note really quick I'd like to know what you guys think of Robert De Niro's snub um I'd like to start with this one if I could 
I do remember hearing a little bit about if anyone was going to upset, it was going to be Driver. I just don't see that happening in any possible scenario. Um, you know, we talked about this uh, last season with the class of 2018 with Eric Anderson, um, which I was very happy to find out that Eric also agrees with this theory that I have. Um, I honestly believe that if anyone was going to upset, it was going to be Antonio Banderas, because the hardest thing to do is get the Oscar nomination itself. And when you go into a nomination with very little precursors, I honestly think that means something. You're either second or third. Um, and so if anyone was going to surprise that year, I thought it might be Antonio. Um going into Oscar night. Now, regarding De Niro, I honestly do think De Niro was snubbed there. Um, he's fantastic in The Irishman. Um, but yeah, that's me. Rosa, what about you? <laughs> uh, interesting. I don't think I've heard about, uh, if anybody was going to snub him, it would have been Adam Driver. Because uh, I would have thought it would have been Banderas as well. Uh, his performance was, to me, I, I guess. Uh, I liked his performance better than I did Driver's. Um and De Niro snub. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of the movie. So uh, I could have probably not given any. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, just because, I mean, I'm, I'm more frustrated and upset about another snub than I am about Robert De Niro's. There we go. <laughs> to word it better. Getting not to, to it. be too critical. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I never really suspected that Driver um, was going to sneak in there and uh, take it away from Joaquin Phoenix. That was never really on my mind. I agree. If if anyone was going to take it, it was Antonio. Um, I never really suspected Driver was in that sort of position. Um, what was the second part of the question? De Niro? Snub? Oh, I thought there was somewhere something in between. Um, De Niro, I think, is doing some pretty solid work in The Irishman. Um, I'm most interested in what he's doing in the last hour of the movie, which is a funny thing to say, because the last hour of the movie, considering that that's still a small fraction given the runtime. Um, but what he's doing toward the end, uh, the more intros introspective stuff, the paranoia and all that, and um, the, the melancholy... Uh, when we get to, you know, where this character ultimately ends up. That's some of the best work that I've seen De Niro do in quite a long time um, in the dramatic area. So um, if he had been nominated for it, I don't think I'd be mad about it, but um, he's not who, you know, I would throw in there. Heard, heard. That's all we got. Well, our fifth and final leading actor is Jonathan Price, nominated for The Two Popes. This is his first and only nomination. He does not really win anything going into this, but he's recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, and the AARP Movies for Grownups Award. In The Two Popes, Jonathan Price plays a cardinal who will become the future Pope Francis I. He is a more liberal cardinal, and throughout the movie, he is in conversation with the current Pope, Pope Benedict XVI, about the um, current state and future of the Catholic Church. So, Rosa, how do you feel about Jonathan Price and the two popes? Yes, Jonathan Price. Um, I really liked it. I, I, I very much enjoyed this performance by him. Um, <laughs> he, not only because he has like really, really uh, similar physical uh, attributes as the Pope does, um, 
But in general, like, his performance was great. If you would have asked me a few days ago, I would have probably been, been praising this performance a little bit more because I, I, I try to do a little bit of my own research, but apparently I didn't do it well enough. Um, I was under the impression that Jonathan Price was um, doing his own uh, Spanish uh, dialogue. And I was like, wow, how in the world does this man speak better Spanish than me? And just later to learn that he was dubbed <laughs> for uh-huh. most of it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's why, because it's a native speaker uh, speaking. I was just amazed by um, how well he was speaking uh, the Spanish, especially with the Argentinian accent. That's not easy. It's not easy to nail. Um, but no, to learn that he uh, learned a little bit of Latin, a little bit of Italian for this performance is, to me, it, it, it goes to show how the, um, much um, he cared about this performance and this character. So overall, I thought it was good. Uh, just the way, um, of course, having Anthony Hopkins to bounce off, bounce off, it's a little bit of help as well. And I was, to be honest, I was a bit surprised that, that he was nominated um, in this category, but I can see why he was. Uh, he did bring this, um, this sus- sensitivity to his character he he did um again just like john uh, like anthony hopkins he was able to get away with some of these jokes and especially the, the, there's a few uh lines here that have stayed with me including the argentinian one um how does argentinian like kill himself he climb up of his own ego and just jumps off it and it just little lines like that little jokes like that that certainly um do stay with me and Jonathan Price is just so amazing I I really enjoyed him in in this film but I would have been praising him a little bit more if I wouldn't have learned that that uh, a lot of his Spanish was dubbed because otherwise um it it would have been a bit more to me but that's just me being nitpicky overall I thought it was good I, I thought it was good um in general again a film that I've unexpectedly enjoyed and yeah I think that's funny that you mentioned that about his Spanish um I had seen this movie with my best friend um we've been best friends since the fifth grade she's Peruvian she's first generation American so her whole family came from Peru and she Mm -hmm. was like wow like so she learned Spanish first and then English is technically her second language but she's like this white guy speaks Spanish way too good. And so she also had the same sentiment um, that you did there. So I will, I was not even aware of that, that it was uh, dubbed. So I will be passing that info along. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> here's the thing. I don't love Two Popes, the movie. Um, I mentioned that with Hopkins. At least with Hopkins, I had fun with that character and that portrayal. This here is just very forgettable to me. Um yeah I, I I don't like this one either this is um this feels and I hate this term but this feels very much like a filler nomination like I really do feel like the two popes came from literally nowhere and this was one of those nominations with Antonio that were like is he gonna get in is he not gonna get in is it gonna happen is it not gonna happen and lo and behold here it was um I don't like it I don't want it uh, this could have been someone else's spot who we'll get too soon. And uh, yeah, 
Uh, no, mm, mm, don't like it. Um, I think it's all right. Uh, I, I was surprised uh, that I enjoyed the two popes. Um, I don't love it. Um, I don't think it's a great film, but I went into it with pretty low expectations, and it managed to surpass them a little bit. So I'd say that I enjoyed it more than I expected. Uh, Jonathan Price, like Hopkins, um, finds these really fun um, little pockets of humor and um, lightens things up and brings a little bit of uh, flavor to this story that could have been a very boring um, just dialogue movie. Uh, but Price, uh, along with Hawkins, you know, is a pro and keeps things pretty lively, um, even though what you're watching is pretty much just an hour and a half of dialogue. And um, not many actors can keep that going and keep it interesting, especially on film, um, for quite that long. So um, Price is uh, succeeding in that regard. Um, it's also a pretty uh, warm performance. Um, there's a uh, very friendly energy to uh, his cardinal character. Um, you can kind of see what uh, drew Benedict to this person. Uh, you can see what, what made them, I don't know if rivals is the right word, but they, they didn't exactly uh, see eye to eye in their cardinal days. But you can see why uh, Benedict, now having been the pope for a while, uh, sees hope in this guy. Um, who he previously had been at odds with, in a sense. So um, I think Jonathan Price is um, doing pretty well here. Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps not who should have played this part, all things considered. But um, for what he's doing, uh, I think he's doing the best that he can with it, uh, for whatever that's worth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's let's just get into it. This should have been Taron Egerton's spot. I mean, we're just this is fucked. Um, I just want to dive right into that because I know we've been teasing it for a minute. Um, yeah. Jenny Schmidt, 44. Who do you think was sixth spot and left out of for the? Well, I'm sorry. Who do you think was the sixth spot and left out of the lineup for lead? Jeffrey Kerr added to that. I'm guessing the Golden Globe winner for comedy musical who was also nominated by SAG and BAFTA, Taron Egerton for Rocker Man, Rocket Man. You know what? I'd fucking agree. Yeah, I'm Me inclined too. to agree that he was uh, sixth. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense on paper. I just don't get how he doesn't get in. I really thought there is no way the Academy is going to ignore Taron Egerton or Rocket Man as much as they did. I was like, Elton John has been partnering with them for years for the after party. They love Elton. They do all this stuff together. Rocketman was, in my opinion, the way better film compared to the year before with Bohemian Rhapsody when it came to musical biopics. Like, there is no fucking way that Taron Edgerton is not getting in. And then he doesn't get in. I could not believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still upset about it. Um, yeah, the, I, I still don't understand why he didn't get in. Um, maybe... Uh, I don't even want to try to attempt to think about it, but, and, and this is coming from, and I know I'm going to probably lose a lot of followers here, but oh well. Um, I unapologetically love and adore Bohemian Rhapsody. And even I can see that Rocket Man, it's a far superior film than that one, including the lead performance. And I, I'm still, 
I, I can't wrap my head around the fact that he was a snub, and so was the film in general, especially with, with, with costume, and then just, just like you said earlier, Richard Madden as well. I don't get it. I don't know. I, I don't understand if it's because they they thought maybe they given Bohemian Rhapsody a lot of, of, of acknowledgement and they decided to like sweep aside Rocket Man and just literally give the Oscar to Elton John for his song. But I don't know. I, I'm still upset. I, I, I don't see why. I, I could easily, easily swap out Tyron Edgerton for Jonathan Price. Yeah. I wonder if um I wonder if they didn't nominate him uh, because then they would have to admit that they had made a mistake the year before. Yeah, I I mean I'll say this: if he was in this lineup, he would have been my winner. I'm just saying it. He'd certainly be up there for me. I'd have to think about winner, but uh, he would definitely say at least be top three for me. Yeah, this is like. Tony Collette and Hereditary type of snub just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, we have another question about a snub, and then we are done on questions. From Ronaldo Sosa, do you think that if there had been more time for voters to see more films, Adam Sandler could have gotten a nod for Uncut Gems? Do you think he deserved one? Rosa? Oh. Snub? No. Uh... No, I, I don't see him um, getting one. Although I think he did win the end of the Spirit Award for it, right? Mm-hmm, um, so. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think he would have been Oscar uh, worthy. I don't. I don't think it's an Oscar worthy performance. Um, unlike Tyron, Tyron definitely. Uh, but no, not Adam Sandler. No. Yeah. So I'm actually pretty. Uh, fond of Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. Um, not a big fan of Sandler just in general, but I thought he was pretty good in Uncut Gems. Um, I did not really expect the Academy to nominate him um, just because of you know his reputation and his body of work over the last few decades. Uh, it didn't seem like you know something that they would go toward. But um, just looking at that performance on its own, I think it is quite solid. And uh, personally, I would have nominated him for that. Um, he also wins the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Award uh, this year. So um, that's saying something, you know, considering that's the most important precursor, in my opinion. Remember, too, he was nominated at Critics' Choice, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Yeah, so I people, you know, there was a certain group of people who were um, pretty taken with his performance. I think uh, there was a little bit of snobbery involved with some Academy members who... Uh, either didn't watch the movie at all or, you know, couldn't get over the fact that it was Adam Sandler. But um, I think just, you know, on the merits of the performance itself, disregarding, you know, everything else we know about Adam Sandler, um, I think it would have been a worthy um, nomination. So for me, I I think the movie is interesting. I, I wouldn't, I just don't get the hype behind it. But then again, I'm not one to usually fall for the norm of hype with films. Um I think Sandler's fine, but I wouldn't consider that Oscar-worthy work either. I think it was just, I, I don't know, I just, yeah, no, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't nominate him. I think he's good, but I don't think it's Oscar-worthy work. That's just me. And Queens, before we get to the rankings, a word from, well, me and our sponsor. 
Have you ever wanted to share a bit of the spotlight with, I don't know, Meryl Streep, Jessica Lange, Angela Bassett, and maybe hopefully one day someone like Aquafina, or play a game where Daniel Kaluuya is on a team? Well, this year, Queens, you can, thanks to today's sponsor, The Star Draft. As the listeners already know, Hollywood Awards season is finally almost, almost here, and God knows it's a long one this year, and The Star Draft lets you be a part of it like never before. What is it, though? Well, I'll tell you. It's a little like fantasy football. I don't know what that is, but I do know that it meets the Golden Globes, and I definitely know what that is, and here's how it works. Head to thestardraft.com to create a league to invite friends or join a public league to make new ones. Draft a team of 10 actors and musicians, musicians who are actors or actors who happen to sing. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. Do you think Olivia Coleman is going to sweep every awards show this winter? Draft her. I know she did the last time. She did really, really good. Hashtag the favorite. Before every nomination and award show, set a lineup. Every time your actor or musician earns an accolade, they earn your team points. Then sit back, relax, watch the awards ceremonies as you, I don't know, drink a beer, eat some nachos, fight with your grandma. I don't care, but rehearse your acceptance speech. The site's top scoring team at the end of Oscar night earns a cash prize. Hey, you may not walk away with an Oscar, but you will walk away with cash in your pocket. It's 100% free, and because we love the Star Draft and you all so much, well, most of you, we've created a public league that you can join right now. Seriously, join us. All you have to do is sign up and join our Academy Queens League at thestardraft.com. That's www.thestardraft.com. We look forward to beating you all award season long and probably beating you more than others. Love you guys. All right. Any recap of your best supporting actors were Anthony Hopkins and the Two Popes. The Irishman uh, both hosted Al Pacino and Joe Pesci. Um, Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Tom Hanks in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Now, one thing we didn't talk about with these supporting men is holy category fraud with almost every man here, in my humble opinion. So... Um, I'm going to be honest, the way my five through two work, I would say, are the category fraud men. I do believe one of these guys here are, are in actual supporting performance. Um, so I would say the least impressive of the category fraud men, I'm going to go number five at Anthony Hopkins. Okay. Rosa? Uh, my number five. Oh, I would go with uh, Joe Pesci. Um, my number five is going to be Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, wasn't super impressed with the uh, performance, and I find it to be the most egregious of the of the category placement going on here. All right. Well, I see your Brad Pitt, and I'm actually putting him at four for category fraud as well. Um, while he is very interesting for what he's doing here. Um, I don't think you can deny that Once Upon a, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a co-lead style movie. Um, but I do think he's better than Hopkins in his co-lead, co-style lead movie. Um, therefore, he is at least number four. Rosa? Yes, my number four is also Brad Pitt. I uh, wasn't fond of his performance. Um, and yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, my number four is going to be Al Pacino for The Irishman. Um, I think he's giving a very lively performance here, um, but he's only going to be my number four uh, for The Irishman. My number three uh, is actually going to be Al Pacino. I also think that he is a lead in 
um, the Irishman, and he has he does have the screen time to back it up there. Um, but he's so over the top, and I don't know if it's in the best of ways or in the or in the not best of ways, but it is in some type of ways. <laughs> And because I'm so unsure about it, I think the most fair place I can put him is right in the middle. So he's got to go three for me. Rosa? Oh, my God. I'm just following your lead. Um, also, Al Pacino for number three. It was perhaps my uh, favorite of the film, uh, although I really didn't like the film. But certainly not. Um, no, it, it's not. How do you call it? it it's certainly not on top of the my top two that I have. So he just lands in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anthony Hopkins lands in the middle for me, for the two popes. Um, I love Anthony Hopkins, and I'm so glad he's uh, back at the Academy here uh, for the this uh, film. And he finds some really fun moments uh, to bring some life to uh, Pope Benedict. But, um, yeah, he's only in the middle for me for uh, the two popes. Well, as much as I loved this character, um, I have to put Tom Hanks at runner-up which means I'm giving the Oscar to Joe Pesci. Let me start with Hanks. Hanks is also the lead in his movie, or at least a co-lead. The movie is about him, essentially, and he teaches the other lead the lessons that he needs to learn for his life. Um, He is fantastic in it, and like I said earlier, I think it is a beautiful testament when an actor can make you forget that you're watching an actor. Um, Joe Pesci, though, was my winner on Oscar night. He was my favorite thing about The Irishman. Um, he's only in the film for 20% of the screen time or 20% of the runtime. Um, while that does equal out to 43 minutes and 22 seconds, thank you, ScreenTimeCentral.com, um, he is definitely the supporting of the three. He is um, the Rachel Vice of the group here. Um, and I just think he's fantastic. I think his subtlety is fucking amazing. And if anyone listens to the show, you know that I don't usually go for the subtlety actors here. Um, or the subtle actors here, but there's something creepy about what he does here because it is, like I said earlier, that Joe Pesci mobster gangster that we've learned to grow and love, but in a complete 180. Um, so Pesci would have been my winner on Oscar night. Rosa, how about you? Um, so my number two is Anthony Hopkins. (laughs) Um, so what he, what he brought to the two popes, certainly, um, I enjoyed it. I, I had a good time with the film. Um, I know it's not going to be for everybody or not everybody's going to like it, but I think his duo dynamic with Jonathan Price certainly helped out a lot. And I had a blast. I had a blast just seeing that both of them just go back and forth, back and forth. And I liked it. So uh, I would have certainly given the Oscar to Tom Hanks <laughs> uh, for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, what he was able to do to convey as Mr. Rogers and in the film certainly moved me. And it stayed with me out of all these performances the most. Um, so, yeah, to me, I would have given the Oscar to Tom Hanks. My runner up is Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I think he gives a tremendous performance here. And um, I love this version of Mr. Rogers. Um, funny thing, with my two, and my two, three, and four, I'm on the fence about their category placement. I see the argument uh, for it. I see why people say that they're co-leads, but um, they're not the primary lead in any of their films. Uh, with Pitt, I feel like he and DiCaprio are on pretty equal footing um, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, but with Hanks, uh, Pacino, and Hopkins... I feel as though they're all secondary enough to another 
uh, person in their films where I'm a little on the fence, but I understand that, um, you know, screen time is a factor and all that. But uh, Joe Pesci is the truest uh, supporting player in this lineup. And he's also simply giving a fantastic performance. Um, I love seeing this side of Joe Pesci. Um, we haven't seen any side of Joe Pesci in a long time, and I'm glad that he came back um, and gave us something a little unexpected. So um, Joe Pesci is my winner for The Irishman. There we go. And your leading actor nominees, as a reminder, were Joaquin Phoenix in The Joker, Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory, Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver in Marriage Story, and Jonathan Price in The Two Popes. And I'm going to give my number five spot to Jonathan Price in The Two Popes. I think he's perfectly fine, and, you know, he finds some moments of um, humor and levity and managed to make this story about two old guys <laughs> talking uh, somewhat enjoyable, uh, more so than I expected. But he's only going to be my number five for The Two Popes. Rosa, how about you? Yes, my number five is going to be Adam Driver. Um, he is the one I like the least <laughs> out of these uh, five nominees. And, yeah, I, I just didn't like his performance as much. So, believe it or not, I'm going Jonathan Price for five, just for the fact of he's the least memorable. I, I mean, no. So, no. <laughs> My number four is going to be Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I prefer DiCaprio to Pitt. Um, I think he's having a little bit more fun, and I'm having more fun watching him. But um, not a huge fan of the movie, and um, I wouldn't say it's DiCaprio's um, best turn by any means. So uh, he's only my number four for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Rosa? Yes, my number four is going to be Jonathan Price. Um, even though I did like what he did in the movie and um, and what what he brought to the film overall, uh, certainly was a bit disappointed to learn that he was dubbed in some of these lines. And yeah, even though um, I did have fun with it, certainly. Now that I do get to think about it, although some of his lines, some of his jokes are, are he was able to pull off, um, certainly a not memorable performance. So this is where I feel like people would have expected my number five, but number four is going to be Adam Driver. He's bad, but at least he's memorably bad. So Adam Driver at four. Adam Driver is my number three. Um I wouldn't call him bad. Um, there's, there's a lot going on in this movie on like an emotional level. And I feel like he captures that pretty well. Um, it's kind of odd, but um, I feel like he takes this really all over the place story and kind of makes it work. I feel like Adam Driver has a talent for capturing mixed emotions pretty well on screen. So um, he's my number three for Marriage Story. Rosa? Um, yes. Yeah. So my number three is Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, I wasn't, of course, the biggest fan of the film, but whatever little bits and pieces I did like, um, DiCaprio had a lot to do with it. Um, again, it's just me being fascinated of the acting within acting um, aspect of it. And I thought he did good. He, he was having fun in the film and he made it a bit <laughs> watchable. <laughs> Uh, number three, Leo, 
uh, got to put him somewhere, and he's not as bad as the other two. And um, I wish I had more to say about it, but I wish he gave me more to say about it. So Leo at three. My runner-up is Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Um, Joaquin is, you know, really showing us here um, how incredible of a performer he really is, how committed he is. And um, he really takes this character to some pretty far places. Um, It's nothing um, unexpected if you had seen You Were Never Really Here uh, the year or two before this, uh, which I wish he had been nominated for instead. Uh, But it's just not my cup of tea here with Joker. Um, But Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory is 100% my cup of tea. I love this performance. Um, There is so much to it. There are so many layers to it. And um, I could just zero in on him for the entire runtime and find nuances within nuances within nuances. And, um, yeah, he's going to be my winner. Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Rosa? (laughs) Yeah, I just echo everything you just said. Uh, My number two is Joaquin Phoenix. Um, His performance in Joker is certainly a a strong performance. And at points, a memorable one, too. But what... Antonio Banderas brings to pain and glory. And I guess because the film overall is far superior than Joker, in my opinion, my humble opinion, uh, I think that elevates the film to another level, including Banderas' performance. So, yes, uh, definitely I would have given this Oscar to Antonio Banderas. So this one, I'm not going to lie, I I knew who my top two were going to be, and I was like... Okay, they're both equally deserving. They're both amazing. They're both, and like just wow, right? Um, but there is a point where when you are going into a character that is such an iconic character, and someone has done it before, you have to be better than that person. And in the long run. Joaquin Phoenix didn't reach that, so he is my runner-up. Um, I'm also rewarding Antonio Banderas the the Oscar here. Um, just fascinating what type of work he is portraying here. Um, and I am just in love with it in every aspect. Um, like I said, if I can understand what you're saying but not knowing your language fluently that's saying something um and that's i also was a huge factor on why i gave penelope cruz the win for volver back in 06 for that episode um so yeah banderas is my winner as a recap for lead and joe pesci in supporting yeah and my winners were um antonio banderas and joe pesci as well and rosa Yes, mine were also Antonio Banderas and Tom Hanks. Yeah, Team First, Antonio. Congrats to all three of us for agreeing on lead. <laughs> That's amazing. That never happens. Yeah. And Brandon and I lined up on the winners for the first time in a very long time. Yeah, that hasn't happened in a minute. Has not happened in a minute at all. Um, Rosa, I hope you enjoyed yourself. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh my God, no, thank you for inviting me. Um, I know I'm not as knowledgeable as a lot of people out there, but eh, you guys took a risk and here I am. So no, thank you for inviting me. I did have a blast. Good, good. Where can uh, where can people find you on the internet? 
Yes, I am on every social media platform at Rosa's Reviews. Perfect, perfect. Anything else you want to plug before we uh, we head out? Yes, if you um, all can follow us, uh, the podcast that I'm co-hosting, I'm a co-founder of Latinx Lens. We're on every um, podcasting platform, and we're also on every social media at Latinx Lens. Perfect, perfect. And Brandon, anything else? Um, I think that covers it. And really quick, is anyone watching the Emmys tonight when we get off of here? I might have it on in the background. All right. Uh, really quick, congratulations. I just got an update. Catherine O'Hara wins for actress in a comedy or musical, or I'm sorry, in a comedy. Uh, so congrats to her. Oh, uh, I love that for her. Yes. On the count of three, we're going to give a big goodbye. Ready? One, two, three. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.